Welcome to The Train Rush, hosted by Craig Taylor and Dave Moss. So this is an 18xx podcast. Uh, well, sorry, apologies. It's a train game podcast where we'll mostly be focusing on 18xx. Uh, the format is aiming to be between 30 and 45 minutes discussing a single 18xx come train game title that we have experience of. So hopefully you can get an idea how the game plays out, whether it's for you, whether it's something you might enjoy, or whether it's something you possibly want to avoid. Um, with no further ado, why should you listen to us? Well, I guess we'll leave that to you after the intros. So, Dave, please do tell us more about yourself. Sure. Um, I guess easiest way to do is talk through my gaming history. So, um, kind of got into what you'd call modern board gaming uh, in 2000. I was working out in Sweden. A German colleague brought settlers over with him, and, and we were absolutely hooked. We spent every night playing it. So, kind of no looking back from that point, and then kind of discovered BGG. Played lots of different things, got into things like Power Grid and Container, discovered I really loved heavy economic games, train games as well. Um, did some blind playtesting of, of an 18xx called 18EZ. Um, I know it's not necessarily widely regarded as a good teaching game, but for me it was a really good introduction. Um, and since then, yeah, as I say, fallen in love with 18xx, would play it over anything else if I get a choice. Um, love heavy, economic, dense you know, games that, that have lots of things going on. So that's that's really me and my game's history, really. Cool. I guess I come to it from a similar... Well, no, I don't. I come at it from a rather different angle. I relearned my love of gaming circa 2010 with Netrunner, believe it or not, a living card game. Um, introduced to it by a guy at work. And then from there went down the kind of the light uh, game rabbit hole. It was kind of strange. It was... Um, it was great to play because my wife could more easily get into it who didn't have the same game history I did. Um, so uh, shared activity. But then very slowly uh, but surely over time found myself getting more and more corrupted like somebody with some strange kink. It getting more and more extreme wanting heavier and heavier games. So um, I guess really the 18xx is the culmination of that. The first expo- My first exposure quite recent actually to 18xx was a about two years ago, playing it, uh, playing 1846 with a friend down the club, and came away from it feeling like, gosh, this is work. With you know, I might as well have been operating a spreadsheet. This, for the record, we didn't have a spreadsheet for this particular uh, attack of the game, but um, feeling like I might as well have been operating a spreadsheet for the last five hours, and we didn't close out the game, promising that I would never play an 18xx game ever again. Move forward two years and. Weirdly, the whole thing's inversed. I, I know every time I'm playing some sort of game, even a heavy Euro, Dave, I think I could be playing 18xx, and that would be that would be better. That's exactly where I am, and I don't think it's my fault for dragging you back into it again, isn't it? I've said, you guys should play this, you'd like it, and, well, and here we are today, really. Well, I'm glad that Lindsay, because she'll be mentioned a few times over the course of the podcast, likes it too, because... I would struggle to play as much 18xx as I wanted to if my very patient wife didn't also enjoy the format. They didn't also enjoy the um, the, yeah, the, the format. Let's call it the format. Why not? It's a word. So, yes, yeah, so and like I say, now playing a lot of 18xx over a very compressed period of time. So I guess from my point of view, what, what do I contribute? I guess I don't contribute a depth of a, a length of experience Dave does. I contribute the perspective of someone who's come at it from a modern gaming point of view and 
looks at it through that lens rather than kind of you know, so for instance some of my friends who talk to me about 18xx talk about the wonderful build quality of all the board games Dave and <laughs> I still struggle to look at it through the lens because I'm always looking at it through the lens of those mass produced euros that sell by the tens of thousands and I'm still struggling to get my head around the fact that these, this is very much a cottage industry with handcrafted things made in scales of hundreds not tens of thousands so I'm learning to be more forgiving and understanding of that as time goes on that's by the by I think you've got an idea for where I'm coming from with this, so moving on um, to actual... Oh, sorry, no, 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 I, I was going to say, I think the thing we're trying to do here is take, take the listener on the journey with us. We're going to play some games, we're going to tell you what we think of them, how they work, what they like, and um, you know we're going to cover it from two different perspectives, really. And, you know, I, 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 though I'm, you know, have played it for longer, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm particularly a better player than anyone else. Um, in fact, I'm quite worse than most players, I think, really. Generally, if there's a bankruptcy rule in 18xx, I try and find it in most games. So we'll have some fun and, and we'll hear about how that goes through as we play through every every couple of weeks, really. Grand, perfect, perfect. So we figured, why start small, right? Why start small? You should take on the big challenges, both in gaming and in podcasting. So clearly, you're all desperate to hear about 1822. Is that game you can fit in an evening down the club? Or, oh wait, no, no, it's absolutely the polar opposite of that. It is an epic um, 18xx experience possibly possibly exceeded by a few titles like 18oe and whatnot but it's still a big one um we've played it between us um well i've played it four times and dave's played it five times uh, we've played it together each of those four times dave has always been involved involved when i've played it um and by it i actually mean the 1822 system so that will include 1822 plus that will include 1822 ca which i was very fortunate to be able to play at uk games expo this year as one of the print copy smoke testers for want of a better term um Dave, if you want to talk to if you want to talk to uh, the specific plays and um, some of the characteristics of the system, I'd be ever grateful. Yeah, to you. Let, let, let's give everyone a quick overview of what what is in eighteen twenty two. So it's published by um, Simon, uh, designed by Simon Cutterforth, published by All Aboard Games. Uh, I think it was published in twenty sixteen. Certainly, it won the Golden Elephant, the Heavy Cardboard Award for Best Heavy Game of the Year that year. Um, We'll assume at this point that our audience knows about 18xx games. Uh, if you don't, please let us know and we'll do an, issue, an episode to give a recap on how that works in general. But what sets 1822 aside from that? What makes it work differently? So uh, one of the key elements of the auctions, uh, rather than in most 18xx's you have an upfront auction for your, your private companies and your minor companies, uh, these persist throughout the whole game in 1822 uh, and you get them dribbled, drip-fed into the game part and parcel of that and you're auctioning every every share round you're auctioning off a set number of private companies set number of minor companies and concessions to form major companies which will form later in the game so that's a really key key logic shift um no longer is that that old 18xx adage of never leave a share round with cash in hand there's always a share you can buy that can work for you um that's that's very different than this at the end of the mm-hmm. each share round you're passing out and you're evaluating next turn order based on money held and potentially you may want to keep money in those share rounds for future acquisitions and i would absolutely say that to, to my exposure or experience that it really is a huge difference between it and other titles the mechanism for the auctions feels very much inspired Although Simon do message me if I'm wrong in this, it feels very similar, if not inspired, by Homesteaders uh, title released by um, oh God, Tasty Minstrel. Tasty Minstrel Games. Thank you. With um, cubes going around a track 
and um, when you're low on the track, you ain't winning the thing. Um, and but it's not just about the ergonomics of how you do it. That feels very Euro, and actually, it was this conversation I had with a few people playing that actually it feels kind of not out of place, but weird in an 18xx setting. Um, but it works. It absolutely works. It's ergonomically, it's great, and I'm glad to see it in an 18xx game. So when I saw it in Homesteaders. I don't actually like that game that much, but I love the way that it does auctions. So seeing it in a Meteor game, I fully appreciate. And I, and I think one of the things there is that the, 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 the auction mechanism, although 1822 probably is not a great point for anyone to jump in and learn as their first 18xx, that auction mechanism is something that would help and, and would be familiar. So you know, yes. if, if people are keen to play, it's definitely one that's worth considering. Uh, depending on their their sort of ability to want to jump in feet first and see how it goes, but yeah, the auctions is a, a very much a key part of this game. Yeah, well, I also concur with you that the other aspect of it, you talking about the timing and how you always want to try and have your money working for you, having money in in your personal fund is a waste of time at the end of the stock round in most games. The interesting thing about this as well is the is the order things comes out come out makes every game a unique instance we try to do the math on this before the podcast and i'll be blunt i got fed up of doing factorials but you'll never see in your lifetime if you were to play it non-stop you will never see well maybe if you're incredibly lucky but the the likelihood of you seeing an, an identical game is almost nil and as such and the nice thing about it is most people okay we pl- a lot of us play 18xx because we like deterministic games where what people do determines the outcome. Well, how does this work? It's variable setup. It's input random. Now, most people play with the house rule. Well, most times we've played, we've played with the house rule that you can inspect the deck. So although the order, the concessions come out and the privates come out and the miners come out is random, it's known, which makes a huge difference. Um, if I, I think although the first time I played it, I didn't inspect the deck because it was... It's a big game. First one I've played was epic. I didn't want more in my brain space than what I'm doing turn to turn. Certainly didn't have the spare brain cycles to do it to operate on a strategic level rather than the kind of the tactical on the first play. Second play onwards, I was looking at that deck. Mm. And I think that's what gives it the depth, right? You can go, well, okay, this game, the Brighton's not the the, the biscuits, as we'll call it, I guess, isn't going to do that well. Um, go on. And, and, and I think I think one of the, what's the key need for that, um, for, the, for that reasoning of the, the randomness to be... Uh, be known is that it's a game of synergies you're trying to form synergies between these private concessions and the functionality they give you the minor companies which are dotted around across the whole of the map Um, so for reference it it is obviously set in Great Britain or 22 is is CA is set in Canada Uh, but you've got 30 privates set across the map in various locations um, and you know, they, they can potentially form synergies with the major concessions as well. So it's knowing when things come out, how to build those things that are going to work well together, enable you to build track and, and you know, work in a friendly manner or, or work in a hostile manner to one of your competitors. So, mm. so that knowledge is really, really critical. And again, that drives decisions you make in the auction process. Mm, absolutely. Um, of course, auction is just one facet. Um, so, well, I was gonna, the only thing I was going to touch on with, with the auctions is what they drive as well is, is in every share round depending on the number of minor companies that have been started, again, they can trigger train rusting. So the game, like in some other 18xxs, 
uh, probably most prevalent in something like 1880, whereby the game will drive trains disappearing from the game at various points. And 18CZ, let's talk to 18CZ doing that because yeah. I think a lot of people are going to have exposure to that. It's a reasonably accessible modern title that has, to a certain extent, injected interest in a wider audience for 18XX. Yeah, and I think 80 and CZ are obviously both designed by the same, same of course. individual, so I think there's definitely a, a trait they use there. But um, again, that's been adopted as part of 1822. Uh, and that train rush can can kind of catch you unawares if it comes at the end of a share round. Um, so going back to location geography, as we said earlier, 22 is its core game and 22 plus uh, are both set on, on a large GB map. Uh, it's, it's very big by comparison to other um, uh, other 18xx's. Maybe obviously things like 18OE, for example, don't necessarily get into that space. Well, it's nodally big, right? It's got lots of hexagons. Yes, Simon wisely used a 25 millimeter hex as opposed to 42 millimeter hex. This thing will fit on your table. It's fine. I will fit on most people's dining tables. I would, I would hazard a guess. It won't fit on your coffee table. Carry on, Dave. Yeah, no, no, and 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 again, that's one of the key things. So you've got you've got smaller tiles, larger, large hex large volume of hexes on the map um, so how does that get around how does the game mitigate that effect otherwise it would be a very slow crawl so so once you get into the green phase phase three in this one major companies are laying two t- two yellow tiles or upgrading so that allows things to move pretty quickly obviously if you've got synergy of a couple of these minor companies working alongside a major you can be laying five six tiles in, in a, uh, you know in an operating round and really mo- crossing that gap of the country pretty pretty quickly well I'm going to backtrack a second here <laughs> we're allowed to backtrack on the podcast if not in, in the game so I just want to raise a couple of points geography comes into it because you mentioned it being in Britain stroke Canada and I think actually it's probably a good time to talk about the concessions because we mentioned them in passing it's, it's pretty unique in my experience to 1822 the concept of a concession so what's a concession it kind of links slightly to the, the quasi-socialist uh, background of the, of, of the United Kingdom, where uh, the socialist streak, where um, concessions are basically, when you bid on a concession, it operates like a private, giving you a fixed income, but its power is it lets you start, lets you can convert it into the president's share for one of the major companies once you hit phase three, I believe. I believe that's when the free trades mm-hmm. come out. Yep. Um, you may launch the concession. They're quite expensive. They start at a minimum, they're auctioned off, as you know, but the, the opening price for those guys is 100 And here's the thing. It's a gift voucher for £100, um, stroke dollars, depending if you're playing CA, towards the par price of... Um, of whatever company you know, of the company you choose to open, I figured I'd mention that now because we're going down the road yeah. of concessions. We've mentioned that without actually saying what it is, and it's considering it's a unique artifact. This game, I figured. Yeah, no, and, and, and as you say, at that point, you've got the concession. You can sit on it for as long as you want. Once you've won the auction, uh, if you haven't opened it by the time the five trains come, it does disappear. Mm. But um, you know, up until that point, you know, at some point in a future share round, so not the share round you buy it in, but in a future share round, you can convert it to a company. And it's operational straight away in 18xx terms. There's no need to sell to 50, 60%, anything mm. like that. It's up and running. It's incremental cap as you go through the game. Mm. Um, so that means that every share you sell is going to put money at the current market rate into the into the company's treasury. That's such a good point, actually, because I've just I've done I've I've done the old implicit information thing as well, Dave. Um, to be clear. Once someone has the concession, they have the reservation on the major company as well. No one can buy shares in that same thing and launch it underneath them. Only they can open the company. Might as well be explicit. Yeah, yeah. Implicit, no, right? I think so, it's, good, yeah. it's good to clear things up. Mm-hmm. 
So, yeah, and once you've got your major company, it, it has a historic destination. So, for example, the London Northwest Railway, its its starting point is London. Uh, its historical destination is Manchester. If it can run a train between those two locations, uh, one single train, that is, uh, then it will double the value of the destination location. And again, that can be a really, really key point for, for generating good revenue runs later in the game. But I also like it as well in the sense that this game, to me, feels like a sandbox game. Okay, It's big. You can do pretty much what you want. You might not be successful just doing what you want, but you can do whatever you want. Um, in terms within the constraints of the random stuff, the random order of things coming out, I like that doubling the value of the historic destination to encourage something that's a, vaguely a pseudo realistic representation of the companies involved. I've played other games where they force you to do things in a certain order because historicity. Word, I, word, thing, word, calendar. Sorry, and, uh, and, I, and I think it was it was very interesting. The first time we played the game, it was the first time. We sat down and played it. We actually had to stick my copy up beforehand. Thank you very much for doing that for me. Um, and the first time we played it, literally, we built an almost replica of the UK train network. We had an East Coast main line. We had a West Coast main line. Um, you know, and, and it, it kind of felt like that. But but I've played it other times, and the game has built off in all sorts of uh, strange directions. We, we managed to succeed Scotland at some point, and that had its own private railway network that wasn't linked into anything else. Um so yeah, I think you know, as you say, absolutely, it's a sandbox. Uh, I think you know, mo- most eighteen XXs are to varying degrees. This one is certainly right on that sort of right end of the spectrum. Heavy, heavy, free opportunity to do what you want in the system and see what happens. Right? I have played the odd one where the only sandbox element feels like where you lay the rails. This one, and like I say, otherwise they feel very, very restrictive. This one certainly feels sandboxy, but I do appreciate Simon putting in a, an incentive to build something that's not just completely insane. And I say uh, I say that because I, I say I come from a background where my initial entrance into 18xx was American titles because most of them are set in America. So to a certain extent, although I'm, I'm an Ameri- I like America, I'm American of fire, I'd argue, um, I know nothing about their rail network. So, you know, I might as well be playing on the moon as far as that's concerned. Well, hey, does that train loop exist? Does that rail loop exist? I have no idea. I have no idea, but it's making me a load of money. Whereas playing on a UK map, I now realise when people talk about, oh, you want to get the one where you live, and it has this value where it resonates. Actually, playing on the 1822 on a UK map did resonate, and I can see what they're saying now, having directly experienced that. So that's an interesting, that's an interesting part of the experience for me. Um, yeah, so I think, you know... Um so we've covered off the size of the game, we've covered off the, the uniqueness of the auction of the companies. Mm-hmm. I guess the next logical thing is like the trains. Sure. Uh, so, so you've got a couple of interesting trains in this mix on this one. You start the game, your minor companies can buy what are called local trains at the start of their turn. They can actually buy them at the start of their very first turn as part of first turn housekeeping. These local trains are in effect uh, one plus one trains in reality. So they'll run the large city they start on and they'll run to the next nearest small little dit, doink, uh, town, whatever people call them, we know that's a, we know that's a very very personal term in many eighteen XX communities. No, 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 um, they're doinks, and everybody else is wrong. Dave, let's get straight. <laughs> well, it's if you're listening to, to this, it's doinks. Either either way, they're <laughs> running they're running today. So they're they're interesting because your miners are up and running straight away, and they, they function pretty much as most miners do in most companies. They'll run run on fifty fifty between the president, who's the sole shareholder, and the company's treasury. Um, as we talked earlier, trains can get rusted through the game, uh, which is which is good. That helps it chug along. You start with, I think, oh. something in the region of 20... Chug L's. along, Dave. Yeah. Chug along. We're going to fill up with puns through this, I'm sure, God, and I will apologise to them in advance. Um, 
So, uh, you know, the, the, the L's and the 2's are double-sided. You can Each miner can upgrade an L to a 2 as part of its process. Um, and then once you get into the 3, the proper game sort of starts in effect. Um, looking at the back end of the train spectrum, uh, you've got what are called express trains. Now, I think the concept of these, again, occurs in quite a few different 8 and XX's. But as with most of them, they work slightly different in each variant. So with, with 22, what they do is they run for an infinite length. Obviously, subject to normal run rules, you can't run through blocked out cities. Um, but all they will count on those stops are places that have your station tokens in. So they will double the value of every city that has a station token in. And if you were paying attention earlier, the, the historical destination is already doubled. So that would be quadrupled. So what you'll see with those express trains is they can run run pretty well. You know, they come in very late in the game. They maybe have three. I don't think I've ever seen them run for more than three operating rounds, but I'd say four are a very push if you got the first one. Um, and they can make a lot of money. I was going to say, they're taking mega bucks out of the game. Once the E-trains come in, you're done in, in, in six more operating rounds. I, if, I, not if, even that, I think four. Yeah, yeah, it's. I guess I, it depends on the number of players, right? True, true. So I mean, in that six-player game, they think they ran for four. Yeah, um, I think that I think four is the most I've ever seen them run. Because don't forget they're they're expensive, right? So by function of buying them, you're sticking more money back into the game. Yes. So there's that kind of thing. I I would say whoever buys them is going to get their money back, and then some, no question. I would say, what was, that was interesting in our first play, wasn't it, that the E-Trains basically didn't come out. You were the only guy building to... It was, I think it's interesting, because if everybody is building to generate, towards generating E-Train runs, then they're very profitable, because the network is shaped in a way that enables high payouts. In the first game, where you were the only person doing that, and trying to get my station dollars out in the right yeah, place... And we were aggressively blocking, because we weren't interested in the E-Trains... It puts a cap on the value, so yeah. I definitely have a fair compli. I think it depends how your group plays. I think it depends what the majority of the group is trying to achieve. But they are certainly an interesting aspect of the game. I think most games will end with them being a significant factor, uh, and I think they can generate a lot of revenue. So, how do those big runs happen for those e trains? So, obviously, as you say, you set yourself up, you put your stations on the board. You can have, I think, seven stations in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so that can be quite a lot of stops you're running to. And, and again, you know, once you're counting all of those doubles, you're doubling them, quadrupling one of those, you can be looking at runs 1,000-plus comfortably for part and parcel of that. So mm. what are the implications of that? How, does that? how is that a good thing for you as the player, as the president of a company? So the ownership is a really important thing. So you can buy up to 60% of the shares, as you can, and I think in most standard HNXXs. Mm-hmm. Um there are obviously, as always, some variants on that, but uh, but yeah, you can buy sixty percent. However, you can acquire the additional forty percent to give you a hundred percent ownership uh, through merging in the minor companies into the major companies. So I don't know if you you're going to talk about that in a little bit more detail. Sure, absolutely. So you will be operating these minor companies throughout a good proportion of the game. These guys, they they are on a fixed. They put their fixed, pay the director 50%, retain 50% themselves. But as the trains escalate in cost, they'll become more and more of a liability because unless they have a very profitable shuttle route, these guys are not going to make enough money to buy their own trains. And of course, you can feed them trains from their big brother. You can do all sorts of things, but ultimately, you're probably going to want rid. Now, because you can't dump them on people because uh, the way that, the way they work is it's a single piece of cardboard. You own it. It's your liability. How do you clear that liability? You merge it into the into a big company, into a major corporation you own. Now, when you merge, you take the value of the little company, and effectively it's share value, and you double it, 
one for your because its, its total value is the share you hold and the share the company implicitly holds in its in its uh, in its treasury. And you, the major corporation has to give you that much in compensation. So let's look at the example here. The example would be. Um, I have a company that's worth a, a minor company that's worth two hundred. My major corporation, just for purposes around math, is worth as worth a hundred a share right now. So it would ha- it can give me zero, one, or two shares as part of that transaction. So that'd be a nice clean transaction where it would give me two major shares. Oh, I, already, I already own six shares for that company, guys, taking me up to eighty percent of shares. Um, as compensation for the minor company, minor company ceases to exist. Its station marker, I can either convert that into the major corporation station marker or move it across onto my available station markers where it will then cost me another £100 to deploy later on. And, so, and that's a really key point. Mm. Your, your major company comes with its home station, its historical destination and one other. Mm. So you, theoretically, you've only got three available stations in the game. Absolutely. The only other way you unlock the stations, again, is through this mergers and acquisition process. Um, which allows you to either replace, as you were saying, the existing station of the miner or free it up and, and incur the cost of placing it elsewhere where you want to later on. Well, get, well getting it right is, is key, I think, to a successful play of this because there's lots of ways you can get it wrong. You could leave the miner company that just cl- climbs up the, um, up the, up the um, share value track for too long and your major can't afford to buy the station. I've seen that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it can use cash as part of the transaction, but if its shares aren't very good and it's destitute, good luck merging that, merging that miner in. It's going to be a liability. Its share value is high, but it could you still may end up having to buy things for out of pocket. Although, that said, I've seen situations with those miners, because you are exclusively getting 50% of the run value yourself, no other players at the table are getting that. I've seen situations where actually it makes a lot of sense to buy a train out of pocket. Mm, oh, very much so. Depending, they, when, they, depending they, when in the game it happens. If you can buy a permanent train, the first permanent train out of pocket is going to pay to the end of the game if it's got a really productive route, and you'll see that money many, many times over. Yeah, and it's, as you say, it's yours exclusively. Definitely, definitely some of them, if they come out in the right place at the right time, uh, they're well worth running to the end of the game. More often than not, they're a vehicle to, as you say, release, release stations and release ownership hmm. capacity in a company. Um, and you say they become a challenge to manage mm. until you can get them for collapsed into the major company. But aside from that, if you can manage that challenge, that's primarily what they're good for. Mm. But they are there, there, and, and I think the, the first time we played it, um, you you ran uh, the number ten, the Birmingham one, which is which has now gone down in, in legendary status amongst us. You ran that through to the end of the game. It got the first five. It had a very profitable little run mm. between North Wales down through Birmingham, and I think coming into Oxford, Reddingway. Um, and you just ran that and rode that gravy train all the way home. Well, for now, and which is unfortunate because now the 10 company has a permanent upgrading value every time it's an auction. So I'll never look at it again. Um, <laughs> I don't want to pay that much for it when I got it basically for free last time. Um, I guess the thing, just talking about, dialing back to the mergers very, very briefly, the thing I would say is that I find that breaking ownership limit mechanism fundamentally more interesting than some of us out there. I've seen forced purchasing where you can buy shares at premium. That's interesting, but it just feels like, okay, I've got money. I've got money advantage already. It feels it integrates that for me, the mergers with the track, you know, having to have a connection between your, your company and the minor company. It rewards good track play as well. It feels like you've played for that advantage to break the ownership limit, rather than I've just got had good revenue. And and I think one of the key things that that you know it does do is as, as the experienced player around the table will be looking to spot is you're looking at it going well. I, I very much 
don't want that player to have 100% of that company. So when the share round comes around and you're at 50% of the company, I want to snipe in and find a way to get one of those shares. Otherwise, there's a, there's a possibility at the end of the game, and I think we saw this in our last playthrough, somebody had 80 90% of one company, they're running the express train for 1,000, and they're taking all of that themselves, sharing next to nothing with anyone else. And, and they came from the middle of the pack and won that game in the end. Well, totally. And I would say, here's the thing, right? I... I think it's more interest. I think that's what's the other aspect of it that makes it more interesting than forced share purchasing. So, example, eighteen thirty-five. I played the other week. You can buy shares once you're past a certain ownership threshold. You can buy shares off other players for one hundred fifty percent of their value, and they can't say no. Okay, so it's a slow climb to one hundred percent. And you've got to have a lot of capital yourself to achieve that. Of course, but if it's a good company anyway, you're going to want to buy those shares, and you're going to, odds are. You know what it's like in these games. If I can own 100% of a company and get all that money myself, that's money nobody else is earning. Yep. I feel that actually, it, when you have that, there's no counterplay element. Oh, well, you got past that threshold. Tough luck for me, isn't it? Those shares, I'm not holding on to those. I'm not holding on to those. Whereas with this, you could do clever things with, with, you could do clever things with stationing and, um, and, and defensive, t- uh, defensive railway that you could potentially block another company from merging. You just buy the shares. There's loads of options. But I, like I say, I really like that aspect of this title. Well, this system, because it features in a... Just to be clear, it features in 1822 Canada too. By the way, that's not Dave Growling, that's my dog. Um, so, so that's probably a good time just to look at the, the variations that are available on 1822. Mm. So, so you've got the standard... Uh, out in the box, 1822, as I say, published, I think, 2016 by All Aboard Games. Um, and that's that's there, and, and, and I think, you know, that's on a V2 publishing now with some slight upgrades to it. They've also just recently introduced 1822+, Plus, which is an additional set of privates. Uh, so I may earlier have said there were 30 uh, minor companies. There's actually only 24 in the base game. You get an extra six, which can either be replaced or mixed in as part of the 1822+, Plus deck. Mix them in. Uh, yes, we did that for our game of the weekend. It was much more epic having them all mixed in and playing with all of those extra ones. So that's some extra privates, some extra miners as part and parcel of that. And then you've also got what's coming later this year, which is 1822 Canada, uh, which is a co-design between Simon Cutterforth uh, and I can't remember the guy's name, Robert, uh, somebody or else. Yeah, well, um, your first name terms from Dave is fine. <laughs> your first name terms um, and Don't be uh, embarrassed, it's fine. If that's uh, how chummy you are. It's uh, Robert... Oh, I'm going to embarrass myself now. I want to say Lapierre. No, you don't. You want to say... You, you, you don't want to pronounce that. Le Soy Ray. Okay, so let's edit this bit. Answer on the postcard, it'll be fine. So, um, so yeah, 1822CA is coming later this year from, from all aboard games. It is the same system put on a new map. Uh, and if, if it's possible to be even more grandiose, uh, it, it is. Uh, we were very fortunate. We met Simon Cutforth, the designer, up at UK Games Expo a few weeks back. Uh, and we very kindly got to play test with him. Or was he fortunate, Dave? Was he fortunate? He, he, he'll us? be believing he was fortunate now, having listened to us talk about of course, this game. Of course, carry on. Um, but, um, but no, we met up and, and we very nice to spend some time in his company, talk about the game, learn about the design process, uh, and, and very much uh, then obviously play Canada. Um, it's, it's, if it's possible to make it an even bigger map, it is. Uh, still the same small hex size, uh, hex tile sizing. Um, a lot of things work the same way. Um, there are some additional uh, granary Pullman trains. Uh, they, they work in the same way a normal Pullman 
would do in terms of counting little dits, but these count tokens that are Pullman's a common artifact. Is that a toy we need to talk to, Dave? Uh, we probably just need to mention them, I suppose. So, <laughs> so in, in 22 terms, a Pullman adds all the little dit doinks, whatever word we're using to describe that. That's fine. Um, adds all of those to your run without counting them against your run, which, which you know, in twenty mm. in train terms is quite a big thing. Of course, absolutely. So if you get the count of value without counting the nodes in terms of range for the train, it's huge. And yes, you win them. So to be clear, you win these in the one of the many auctions in the game. You win them, and like a private, you fold them into a company when the time's right. They can only come in in phase five onwards, so they're, they don't come until quite late. Um, so you can spend money early on them in an early auction and think, gosh, I wish I'd had a share. That can happen. But jeepers, if you have one on a long on a on a six train, picking up an, picking up an extra 60, 70, 80 a run is just crazy. Mm. Just absolutely crazy. I think the express trains can't use them. I think that's the only because they literally only count. Yeah, express they, trains can't because they mm. only count the, the station tokens that you put on the board. So because so, the sevens and the expresses come out at the same time, if you've got a Pullman, maybe there's value in taking the seven instead. I don't know. Um, but the context is grain trains in 1822 Canada are like the Pullmans we've just described. However, they count these special printed bits on the board called grain uh, granaries or grain silos, I think. And they pick up an extra 10 rev per. Here's the thing. right? There's less grain silos, silos than there are towns and doinks. Um, however, the grain, the grain train comes in earlier. comes in from phase three. I think... I didn't get involved in the grain game when we played. I just did a bog standard big number value game down the bottom of the board and got left alone, which is fine. I'll take that. But they seem like a fundamentally interesting artifact. Um, Dave? And I think the interesting thing is that they are um, they're quite dense. So, so, so all of the granary silos are very close together. And if you can get a train that can, can catch a couple of those, you'll also mm. get a bonus for hitting a port for, for servicing the Great Lakes. Um, or, or off on the west coast of Canada. In fact, you can actually run a granary train from port to port via all the grain silos, uh, and that can be worth quite a lot of money. Um, yeah, and what I thought was a bit weird, maybe distorting, I don't know. I, I, I It's only one player of 1822 CA, so this isn't any significant commentary. It's an impression rather than a, than a judgment. I thought that had the potential of distorting the game significantly. If you could get a grain train early and get mid-game revenue, but in the early game, you could be buying a lot of shares. I, th- I think they're undoubtedly powerful. Again, I think with with the whole thing and it caveats on the whole system, I think it really is relative as to when they appear. So, so going back mm. to the example we were talking about earlier, where we saw the number ten private in Birmingham come out very early in one game, and it was super powerful. In just about every other playthrough I've played through since then, I've always looked at the deck and it's been at the back end. And sure. by then, it doesn't have the same level of power. So, sure, that's that's one of the great bits around the that's variability true. of the game. And I guess that's the auctioning, right? If you don't agree, if you don't agree, I say, if I, for argument's sake, have the perspective that the granary trains are good value then I should be up in the mini auction right yeah I mean I guess it can be frustrating if you've got a company that's nowhere near there right but I should at least be up bidding and you don't necessarily want the grain train landed on you because you can't use it but the point being is the players between them there should be enough players with an interest in the grain train that the right value should be paid for it. I, I think possibly, possibly, possibly because it was our only player of Canada, we may have undervalued those. That might have been that might have been the problem. I, I definitely think that's the case. I think you know we, we clearly uh, as we've played, and again we played, as you said earlier. I think we've played four games together, and I played five in total. Mm. Um, you know, 
the, the, our perception of value has changed greatly and our understanding Huge. which, which mm. is going to which is going to happen you know with every 18xx it's not one of those games that you open at the box you play it once and you've seen all it's got to offer it has that depth it has that replayability even without the variability this system introduces I agree and I think actually I would say this is a title that is defined by its toys let me explain so um, specifically for me this game is in part we talked about the auctions but in part, it's defined by like say the many, many privates that are in it. So to me, to some extent, when you, when you first play 1846, the difference between something like 1846 and 1830, for argument's sake, is the is the variety of privates and the way you can glue these various little widgets and whatsits together to try and pull value out of the game. This very much is a game where you've got a big old toy box and. I can't tell you if that Optimus Prime Transformer is covered in gank or not, and therefore what's its value. When you've played it a few times, you realise that the the ease of which some of these things can be turned into massive value, and some of these things are traps. I mean, for instance, in our first game, and actually weirdly in the last game we played, there's a company that pulls money, it's a private, that pulls money to the player, and also pulls an equivalent amount of money into a little portfolio which, when you buy the company in, is gifted to the company. Now, just for want of a better term, it's a parachute payment, right? It's, oh no, my company's about to get get into trouble, can't afford a train, let's pull this company in. Here's the crazy thing, it pays out 10 times the current phase number. So the longer you can keep that company, the bigger and nastier train it can buy. And by rights, this, this little private, it should go for 200 plus Easy. The amount of money. Bear in mind, in four phase five turns, four phase five ORs, it's going to make that money back. Mm. Okay, it should go for that. Well, but both it and the player make that money back. So you're making yeah. money yourself as a player, and this, as and I call it, the, the Highland yeah. Cash Cow, yeah. uh, sits and holds a bunch of cash. And, and as you say, that's there to drop into a company to help bail out of trouble. Totally. Word of warning, though, don't get caught out like I did in Canada. It does disappear. Um, and Ooh. I got caught out by the train rush and, and waved goodbye to, to 300 plus Canadian dollars worth of investment funds uh, and gave them back to the bank at that point. Of course. Of course. But this is the thing I'm talking about, that toy, right? And so the first time we played it, I got it on the cheap because no one really, really could foresee the value of it whilst trying to calculate 101 different other things. Last game... I got great value on it because everybody had made themselves destitute in the sh- in the share round, come auction round before. So mm. it was available to me cheaply because I held the money back. And I guess this is where we round the circle, right? About that timing of how the you know the timing of the auctions means that some classic eighteen XX conventions just do not apply. Um, I guess realistically, we should just talk to our final thoughts on it and what we where we think this sits versus other things we played and who you'd recommend it for. What sort of experience would somebody need to play this? What sort of experience in terms of type of fun someone wants would would be the right player for this? You know, who would like this? Shall I go first? No, please one? do. Yeah, actually, I'm inviting the. I'm asking the question. <laughs> I'm inviting the answer, Dave. So I think you know, from, from my point of view, it is. One of the more modern 18xx's, you know, it's come in this recent wave of of fresh design thinking, um, you know, and um, I think it's very good. I think it's really exemplary as as, as one of those modern designs. Uh, I think it shapes the way things work up. We've talked quite extensively about that. One of the things that, for me personally, it really does very well is it has a great narrative art, as as hopefully you've gathered through the way we've discussed the games that we've played in. Uh, you know, we can we can recall events and specific companies and specific privates and the impact they've had. So it really builds that wonderful narrative that you see 
Uh, I, I think, you know, ATNSX does that well. Uh, it's a common trait you also see in wargaming, I think. So from my point of view, alongside 18 Island, 1817, which I'm sure we're going to discuss in future episodes, uh, you know, it sits up there with the really fresh, modern thinking ones. Is it something I'd introduce to somebody as a first-time play? They'd have to want to play 18XX, I think. You know, it's it's not complicated. It does nothing particularly mm. complex, but it has a lot of wrinkles and edge cases and stuff that really kind of means that it's probably not your best teaching one. I'd use one of the scenarios. The reason being yeah. that with someone playing it for their first time, this would be an... Inst- okay, I'd sorry to use a strong word here. It would be an ill-advised one to use for someone's first play because you are living with the consequences of your mistakes for a very long time in the full game. And I think the stronger player, as we've alluded to in some of the last couple of conversation nuggets, the stronger players who've got the inherent knowledge of having played it more will win out in that. So it can be quite brutal, as you say. Well, you can say about any 18xx, right? Because it's strictly deterministic. That's one of my things I love about the format. It rewards experience. It's unashamed. There's no rubber banding to pull someone back in it. Oh, you rolled a six, therefore... You know, it's, it's... That's what I love about the format. But... If you're going to teach someone something, I think it's a bit unfair to have someone live with the consequence of a decision they made 10 minutes in for the next nine hours. However, it's a surefire way to turn somebody off. I know interest, there's a, the clear clause says something. Interest will carry you a long way. Introduce somebody to whichever title they're interested in, and I'm fine with that. Use the scenario, don't use the full game. True, true. No, that's a very fair point. And the scenarios are freely available on the BGG website. I think Simon's published those. They may mm. even be on the AAG website as well. Mm. But I do think, you know, if somebody's played a couple of 18xxs, is really enthusiastic mm. in the system, as you say, if they, particularly if they're in the UK and want to see that, or Canada for that matter, mm. you know, it would be a great one. It would really resonate. So, so for sure. me, I mean, I think, as I say, I would... Uh, I, I give it a very clear nine out of ten. I don't know. Are we doing a scoring thing? We can do if you you can do. I, I I'm going to use words as opposed to numbers because I believe in words. Fair, fair enough. You know, I, I, I'm, not, give, I, I'm not a machine. I'm not a number. I'll, I'll give it um, nine coal shovels just yes. to add some train theme. To of course, it. of course, please do. Um, so I'll answer my own question. I would say here that for me, it's very much along the engineering route. Okay, if you like dumping companies on people and those sort of shenanigans, I'm sure it's possible. But I've not seen it. And possibly because of the group I play with. Almost certainly because of the group I play with. But let's put it this way. I've been playing this back-to-back with 1836 Junior, which is very close to 1830 in terms of its its genetics, for want of a better term. And 1830 very much feels like a game about buying companies, treating treating them okay, but then getting to a point where you abuse them and getting rid of them with someone else. You don't see a lot of that in this, in my experience. It's, it's, it's too, it seems very difficult to pull off. And Usually you've invested a lot in getting the company to the point it's at, even if mm. it's destitute and, and train rusting and struggling. Um, so, I, yes, it, it's very, very, very much an engineering rather than a, mm. a stocks and shares of financial shenanigans one. I mean, if I had to say in a sentence, it's 1846 writ large. Okay, it uses a lot of the things from 1846, the incremental cap, the, the toy box approach, as I like to call it. Um, the focus on engineering. There's a lot of things. That, okay, there's no pain. There's no pain for tile lays. There's none of that. There's none of that. But it's just in terms of general feel, it feels like an epic version of 1846 to me. Um, I'm sure I'm going to be absolutely. Sh- torn to ribbons for saying that please tell me we, how, we, we will look forward to hearing feedback from our listeners please tell me why I'm wrong 
please tell me why I'm wrong. I'm happy to hear it. Happy to learn. I'm still learning. Learning every day. Um, Definitely one of the things I think we're keen to hear as we go forward with this. If any feedback is welcome, good or bad. But obviously, yeah, we want to hear your thoughts on these games as well. Tell us what you think. Tell us where we've got it wrong. We do get it wrong. Um, So, you know, we'll be keen to know. Dave gets it wrong. Yeah, more sorry, often sorry. than not. <laughs> sorry, joking, Karen. But uh, but yeah, let, let's get some feedback. Let's have some discussion. One of the things we can add into to, to you know future episodes is just taking some of those things, some questions maybe, and, and just answering them and, and debating. What's that? Well, you played eighteen thirty six? Yes, Dave. I played eighteen thirty six. Um, so thought I'd mention that, Dave. You know, played eighteen thirty six junior. Um, that's our next episode. Thought that would be a good way of bringing it in. Yes. Um, so we're going to talk about eighteen thirty six. I've had a chance of playing that a lot. I think I played that five times over the course of a week. It was a crazy amount. Um, it, I'll admit, for me, it's a voracious hunger born from not having played eighteen thirty before. So we're also going to solve that problem. We'll, we'll solve. We? We'll solve that problem. We'll solve that problem. But fundamentally it is just uh, look that thing is so tight it is so refined there's no flab on it whatsoever and, and we don't want to give too much away no, of course. we might have a future episode no of course but the point <laughs> is it's it's exciting we, 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 it's, it's exciting to me and I want to talk about that I've come from the modern route of 1846 being the introduction game that's the one I was taught because it's the common accepted this is how you learn how to play 18, 18xx and I'm fully and I fully appreciate that but so you can imagine what a shock it was to me to play one like 1830 and that will be our next episode. If you've got any specific thoughts on that, any questions um, about that title that you'd like us to answer, then bang them over. Email us at... Well, email us at... So you can email me at... For, what, at? I don't want to use too many ats. Email me at the address craig at thetrainrush.com. And I think I'm Dave at thetrainrush.com. You can be. You can oh, be whatever you want at thetrainrush.com, but yeah. right now you're Dave at thetrainrush.com. That, that sounds good, because otherwise it will be bankruptcy at thetrainrush.com, probably. Wonderful. Grand. Well, thank you for spending the uh, last 45 minutes or so with us, and hope to hear, hope to see you again soon. Thank you. Bye.